A quick note before we start. You're going to hear some birds on this episode. You might wonder why. Well, as we record this episode, COVID is raging in many parts of the world, and the old normal has been replaced by the new normal in many parts of our lives. Chirping birds, they're not so bad. Kind of zen, actually. You know what's not zen? Recording in face masks. That's a little more distracting. So, to be safe, we recorded outside. With the good fortune of warm weather and a little social distancing, I'd say it turned out okay. Besides, the story is fire, birds or not. Without further ado, here's the episode. This is Moral of the Story. Interesting people telling their favorite short stories and then breaking them down to understand what makes them so good. I'm your host, Max Chapovsky. On today's episode, we have David Kalt, who is a bit of a legend in the tech world. He sold his first startup, Options Express, to Charles Schwab for $1 billion back in 2011. And most would ride off into the sunset after that exit, but not David. Being a guitar lover, naturally, he decided to buy the Chicago Music Exchange, the legendary guitar store in Lakeview. But he wasn't done quite yet. His next move was launching Reverb.com, a marketplace for used music gear, which is where yours truly picked up a couple of sweet Yamaha studio monitors. Thanks for that. David sold Reverb to Etsy.com for $275 million about a year ago in the summer of 2019. And now that he's dominated finance and music, well, next up is applying the same marketplace concept to health. His next venture, Stretch, will help people find yoga and Pilates instructors to practice in the comfort of their home. Now that he's making it easier for people to stay healthy, you'd think he has no time for guitar, right? Wrong. He still plays an hour a day. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Max. It's great to be here. I love your, I love your storytelling, too. So <laughs> I'm glad to be part of your, uh, your podcast. So tell me your story just briefly. My story is a story of learning and curiosity. And uh, it started, you know, with uh, early age. I wanted to be a record producer. I really did want to make records. Uh, I started off right out of college as a recording engineer. And it wasn't when I realized I was never going to really uh, hit the level of success that I thought I was capable of in that industry that I pivoted at the age of 22 to software. And I started to uh, really um, love the, the creation of building software and um, the, the sort of problem-solving, puzzle nature of, 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 of the intellectual pursuit of creating great software and using software to, um, in a very opportunistic way and to help people, to build businesses that actually add value and are, uh, are very, can be very inspiring. So set the stage for the story that you're going to tell us. What should we know? So I put a lot of thought into the idea of a story. I really loved uh, your concept of like focusing in on a story because as, as a, an entrepreneur or a CEO, yes, storytelling is crucial. What is your storytelling is about? It's about, it's about getting people to follow your vision, right? Getting people on board to this idea that you have something uh, worthy that, um, that I'm going to go commit to your, you know, the David Colt story. So you got to get good at storytelling. And I like that you, I like that you're emphasizing that and that you're, uh, because people don't develop that skill um, intuitively unless they realize there's some benefit to it, right? So the benefit to good storytelling is that when you use it, and you got to use it selectively, you can't use it all day, every day. Those, those type of storytellers can, are salespeople. 
<laughs> and they can get really annoying. You have to figure out how to selectively use storytelling to um, get people excited and motivated about um, where you're headed, right? Um, and I've, I've, I've figured that out. And the story that I want to share with you is when I first realized that actually I, I had a voice and that people would listen and that I could, you know, make change and, uh, and, and stand up for something. And that um, once I realized that, then I realized, wow bring it on. Let's, let's go. <laughs> well, and that's especially salient in today's environment. So in your words, bring it on, let's go. So this story goes back to um, my early 20s and uh, still in this sort of defining part of my life, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And to, to go back, um, I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Detroit. Um, my family, uh, my grandmother actually was very matriarch in the family. She started a travel agency. And so my father worked it, my mother worked it, my aunt worked it, my uncle worked it. It was a true family business. So at the you know ripe age of eight or nine, I was exposed to the accounting software, the uh, uh, airline reservation system, Sabre and Apollo. And I grew up in that business, whether I was uh, filing brochures or working the computer system at the early ages, I, uh, I felt like I, I learned that business at a very early age, just um, through osmosis and, and being part of that. So now I'm like 22, 23, kind of giving up on the, I'm going to be a professional musician, recording engineer. And I started uh, working in the travel industry in Chicago. So I find myself, and I still feel that I'm very entrepreneurial, but I'm thinking about getting married and I wanted a steady gig. And uh, so I find myself taking this job and I live in the city out around 30 miles outside the city in Schaumburg at a company called the Signature Group. It was a very corporate job. I had to like put on I think a sport coat and, uh, and maybe even a tie. And uh, that was very much not like me, but I figured this was a good opportunity to learn. So I take this job within the travel department. This is a company probably employs a thousand people. It's a subsidiary of Montgomery Ward. It's a pretty substantial company at the time. And they sold what's called travel clubs and auto clubs. So they were like a triple A and then they sold these travel clubs, which allowed people to basically book a trip and get the commission as a rebate. We had around 100 people in our travel department, and I, my job was I was hired by the head of the travel department to help them with the technology for all these travel agents and, and really build some special software. Now, ironically, I didn't work for the technology group, which probably had around 300 employees that were building software, and, those, and I was making 40 grand, which was huge money for me at 24. And they were making, the technology people were making 80 to 100 grand. So I'm working um, for my boss and helping her area um, um, build macros and little tools to be, um, to be successful. Along the way, I created this little software app that um, ended up being a huge win for her department in terms of customer service to the point where I got to demo it to the CEO of the company when they had uh, a big client group visiting, USAA was visiting. And that was my first moment where I was, and I was only three months into the job where I was like, wow, I built something and I could actually uh, get some credit for it. But the big turning point was during this three, four months that I was there, my boss was renegotiating a salary for the computer systems that we use, the, the reservation systems. Right now, we were on a system called Apollo. And this was a multi-million dollar deal. This would be a five or 10 year deal of maybe 10 or $20 million. 
And the other system that was trying to replace Apollo was Sabre, owned by American Airlines. Apollo was owned by United. And these are very, very contentious negotiations. And I found myself in this very, as a 24-year-old, in this very interesting situation where I wanted what's best for my boss and the travel department. And I was, and there was this other force, the, the IT department, the technology department, that, that really wanted to exert influence over this 100-person group and be able to write software and influence the decision and wanted to be very involved in the decision on which platform that we used. And my boss, after exhaustive uh, due diligence, um, we were pretty committed to sticking with Apollo and figuring out how to really advance our business in that way. The other technology leader was adamant that Sabre was a better technology and we would get so much more if we made that decision. So you had this stalemate in terms of uh, what was the best decision for the business. So I find myself in the boardroom with the CEO, a thousand person company at 24, I'm at the company five months, I have no experience doing anything remotely like this. And they're making the decision and here are the recommendations. My boss is recommending that we stick with Apollo. The head of IT is recommending that we go to Sabre. Now mind you, the head of IT would love me to come work for him because he doesn't like Nancy, my boss, having her own influence that can actually help educate her to make the best decision. So I'm sort of like a thorn to this, to this guy. And um, many people would probably make the decision that my career, the best career opportunity would be to align with the head of the technology group because that's where the money is and that's where the opportunity is. So I find myself in this boardroom and uh, the CEO goes around the room and he listens to Nancy, my boss's view, her boss's view. And then the technology group kind of lists all the reasons, including financial reasons, why Sabre is the better decision. And then he looks to me. So he saw something. He saw that little software app that I had built. He saw that I was this sort of neutral force in this decision because I didn't work for the technology group. I mean, I didn't know politics. I didn't understand corporate politics. I was just there doing my job and trying to do the right thing. And I say, the best decision for the travel group is to stick with Apollo. We are gonna make Apollo work for this team and we're gonna innovate around it. You saw I already built this great software app on the Apollo platform and we can do many, many more things when we get the upgraded software. And he looked at me and he's like, we're sticking with Apollo. And the, 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 the tension in the room then from that, the, the IT group was so overwhelming. The way this guy looked at me as if I had betrayed him and I had done something so bad, but then the, the power of seeing that standing up and doing the right thing for the business, like I really objectively, I dug really deep. And to be honest, my family used Sabre. I really liked Sabre. It would have been very easy for me to say Sabre is the right decision. But the cost of the conversion, the cost to the business would have been far greater than the benefits. And I knew that. And I, and, and I was aligned with, uh, with, with my boss and, in that decision. And it felt really good to stick with the right decision for the business. And it felt incredible to be heard at such an early age and to be able to be super intentional about 
what impact you can have if you're uh, if you're very thoughtful and uh, and uh, passionate about what you do. And, uh, and that story sticks with me. I mean, there's lots of other high-powered decisions that I did, but this was at a very early age, and it was at a time when I didn't really understand corporate politics. It also had big influence on me knowing that I did not want to be in those types of boardroom situations for the rest of my career. Like, that was not, uh, that didn't seem super productive. <laughs> what went through your head when the CEO looked directly at you and he started talking and you thought, this guy is asking me my opinion and there's kind of a lot at stake. You know, it was, I do operate a lot by gut and instinct and, um, and you can't fight that. You can't fight that. When you find yourself covering up for what you know is, is right, um, you should really, you should really check your gut. Right. And so I find myself, um, when I present and, and when I hire people that when I speak from my heart, and I speak with authenticity and I speak what I believe is to be the truth, whether it's popular or not, I get results and it feels good. And, uh, and I've done that my whole career. So when he looked at me, I knew that I didn't have a choice. I mean, I knew that I knew what the right decision was and I was going to speak it, even if it had ramifications for my for my career or my opportunity there. Mind you, three months later, I left that gig and started my first software company. So I saw opportunity uh, uh, from that. I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life at that business, but I wanted to have impact. You know, even in the six months that I was there, I wanted to have impact. And that was, uh, that was how I was really having the most impact. What's the moral of that story to you? Well, the moral is that do the right thing. There's, there's going to be a lot of external pressure and forces to sort of either go with, you know, um, the, the best career opportunity or what looks like the best maybe short-term decision or stuff like that. But often we know what is the right decision. And, and, and so often people don't really get behind it and they, they get conflicted. So one is stand up for what's right. In this case, it was, you know, a business decision. In, in other cases, it can be, you know, social issues, equality issues. It can, you know, there's so many important issues in, in today's climate. All, all of these things that might not be at the forefront of, uh, of your decision. But being able to stand up for something, to me, is really important. And, uh, and I've found that as inspiration all of my businesses. I mean, all of my businesses on the surface, people like, oh, finance, oh, music. No, I was fighting for something. There's always a cause behind an omission on why people would come work for me, whether it was at Options Express or Reverb. Like, we were building something special. And that was the moment I realized I had a voice and uh, that I could go build something special and that people would listen a common cause is a very powerful unifying mechanism and that helps bring people together to fight for something. That's how revolutions happen. Exactly. <laughs> how do you use storytelling in your, in your life, whether it's personal or professional? At heart, I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert. So I don't find myself telling a lot of stories aside from the dinner table where I have a captive audience, I don't find myself being uh, the chief storyteller in social settings. I find myself in business feeling uh, responsibility 
to tell stories at the appropriate time and being very selective about them. So more of the stories that I find are the real life examples of great entrepreneurs and, and, and business stories where people kind of defied the odds. Um, they did something extraordinary. They built great company and cultures. I'm a huge fan of Steve Jobs and everything that he did and, and, and how he was able to mobilize two, three times incredible momentum around brilliant ideas and execute on strategy. So, and uh, he, was, he was a masterful storyteller. He could get people so excited. So when you see the power of storytelling, you realize that you have to find those, those special stories that people can relate to and that can help achieve the, the outcome that you're looking for. So I, I said it at the beginning, I mean, just to tell stories, to tell stories. There are some people that are great at just telling stories. I don't find myself as a great storyteller. I find myself selectively being able to tell a story that's super relevant to the cause I'm trying to achieve and then focus in on that story and, and, and figure out how to tell that story over and over again. In the case of a business, you know, what's the mission of Reverb, you know, making the world more musical and how are we going to do that every day and, and sticking to that storyline day in, day out, that's more of a repetitive story approach that, that your employees and partners need to hear day in, day out. So to me, storytelling is more about repetition it's about hearing the vision over and over again with different iterations of it as the, as the story gets richer and more, you know, substance around it. So the story I'll tell you about stretch today will be very different than the story I'm going to tell you about stretch in two or three years as it's learned and it's become a snowball. Then there's there's more to that story it gets richer and like storytelling, like guitar, like anything you hone your craft with practice. So the story becomes better, more effective, punchier, more concise over time. I appreciate the humility, but you have been able to successfully tell some good stories and I'm sure you've heard some good stories as well. What advice would you give to people that want to become better storytellers? You know, we all have moments of passion and uh, excitement and energy, right? You know, being a father and, and watching my kids and how, in, in how individual each of them are, but recognizing that, that they each have their own voice and their own technique on how to communicate who they are. The advice I'd say is find, find that special voice, find that moment when, when the room gets silent and people listen to you. Because when I discovered that, when I discovered actually that I had a voice and that I could tell a story and I could engage people, that was magical. And once you, once you hone in on that and you figure out how to reuse that technique, that technique of when to pause, when to raise your voice, when to lower your voice, when to um, um, you know, go into more detail, when to cut to the punch line. Like all those things are things that you can develop, but everyone's got to develop it for themselves. You can't develop it. I can't develop Max's storytelling. This is David's storytelling. It's scrappy. It's who I am. It, 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 I misspeak often, but it's got us and this, but it's me and it's authentic. And that's where the advice I would give is find that authentic voice that we all have and figure out how to master it. Your advice has been unique on the storytelling from the sense that when you talk about timing, 
the advice most people give is once you've started telling the story, how do you tell the best story? What I find interesting about your advice is it precedes that and talks about what is a good time to tell the story? Because if you get that timing right, it predisposes the audience to receive that story better. Well, that does it for us. David Kalt of Options Express, Reverb.com, and most recently, Stretch. Thank you for being on the show. For David's full bio, links to what he talked about, including stretch.com, and then some, head over to mosspod.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast on. This was Moral of the Story. I'm Max Chapovsky. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.